Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. On today's episode, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson, to talk about Carolina's latest loss against Florida State. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us, so that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina Apparel, they have everything that you could possibly want. The T-Shirts, the jerseys, the hats, you name it, they'll probably have it. It's great people, great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni visit them on franklin street if you're going to be in chapel hill for a game day or online at johnny t-shirt.com and don't forget inside carolina premium subscribers get 10 percent off their orders all right as always it's mike ingersoll and ej wilson Carolina for the second consecutive season loses to Florida State as a double digit favorite. The Tar Heels closed as a 17 and a half point favorite before Saturday's game and UNC loses 35 to 25 to FSU. You could have your pick of where to start with the offense being bad. The defense is bad. The coaching is suspect. The game management is suspect. Everything is kind of off this team has a ton of mistakes but ej starting with you what were your biggest takeaways uh my biggest takeaways is uh the biggest thing that i saw is that we are probably the most inconsistent team i mean i've never seen a team in six games into the season that doesn't have an identity yet i mean sometimes it seems like we're going to stop the run and then it seems like we're going to stop the pass and i mean and, and i can't even say yesterday that we stopped the pass but because they didn't have to Every time that they wanted, they they did whatever they wanted to yesterday. They ran the ball down our throat. The quarterback ran the ball. Their running backs ran the ball. They had tight end screens that were successful. So uh, with this being the positivity pod, I don't know how much positivity there's going to be today. But, I mean, and then you think about it. I mean, they they had a couple of play-action passes that went for either touchdowns or major yardage. So we can't say that they stopped the pass. I mean, I wouldn't pass the ball to throw the ball around if I was running the ball down somebody's throat, especially somebody who's, like we just mentioned, was a 17-point favorite coming into the game. So my biggest takeaway, my first one is that we don't have an identity and we don't know who we are. And two, Something has something is going on, and I think it's the time. It's, it's start. It's the time for us to start looking and talking about this coaching and the development of this of the players that we have on the field. We are making so many of the same mistakes that we have been making for the past three years across coaching staffs, um, across eras. Honestly, I mean, 
the story of yesterday, and I think, and I wrote down on one of the drives, I think it was the final drive of the game, that there was the one play where we had the guy in the backfield tackle for a loss. We took a bad angle, missed the tackle. He spun out, and he got the first down. That was kind of a microcosm of the whole game. It was the bad angles that we were taking all game, the missed tackles that we had, and just the undisciplined football that we played. So my biggest takeaway is that um, – I, I don't think that this program has come as far as we think that it's came, that, that it's come. And I don't think that we have necessarily the talent um, that we think we have. Yes, that we do have a more talented team than we have in Carolina on paper in a while. I mean, we're start, I'm starting to feel like we're kind of like the mid 2000 Dallas Cowboys. I mean, you, you, you look at our roster from top to bottom and it looks stacked, but when you go out there on the film, on the field and you look at the film is the, the talent's just not showing up. The development of the players just not showing up. So overall, I just came away from this game. Very disappointed. Yeah, EJ, you, what, what did you enjoy more yesterday watching the game or your stomach ulcer? Definitely the stomach ulcer. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Definitely the stomach ulcer I carried around Chapel Hill yesterday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely enjoyed that more. EJ, you mentioned Jordan Travis, uh, his his passing ability and how he threw the ball in the game. He only had 13 passing attempts, but he was 11 of 13 for 145 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, his quarterback rating. Sam Howell, I thought he played a pretty good game yesterday. He had that one ball that was pretty underthrown to Choffrey Brown. Um, but Sam Howell's quarterback rating was still 120. Jordan Travis's quarterback rating was 254. So it's just it's just more of the same problems for Carolina. Mike, <laughs> what about you? What were your biggest takeaways from this game? And I disagree with EJ that we don't have an identity. Our identity is we can't stop running quarterbacks. That has been our identity for as long as I can remember. And it's like you said, across staffs, it's not, you know, this isn't, this is something that max staff hasn't fixed, but it has existed for quite a while. Um, So if you want to beat Carolina, just run your quarterback. It doesn't really matter how good of a runner he is either. Just run him. Just run him. Just run him and you'll score points. And, you know, our defense won't tackle him, so don't worry about that. Just just, just let him run. But uh, on, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, you know, I just went back and I watched a condensed version of the game just to kind of rehash what I saw. I, it's, I mean, it's, it's difficult to watch. I will say this. Uh, we cleaned up a lot of twist issues. We didn't clean up all the twist issues because they, they got home on some twists that they shouldn't have gone home on. But for the most part, we handled it pretty well because Florida State, best I could tell, almost never gave us a straight-up rush. It was – they were running games up front the entire game, which is exactly what I would have done if I was their defensive coordinator. I would have have game-planned twists and stunts all day long because we hadn't shown an ability to stop it. And I will say that we did a much better job this week of stopping twists. We took that off of film. I think we'll start to see that. If we put together another game of stopping that, we might see that less and less moving forward. But it doesn't – that doesn't fix – the bigger problem we have, which is Sam is still getting hit. Sam's clock is still off because even when he's not getting hit, he thinks he's going to get hit. He's taken some serious licks back there in the pocket. It's not just like he's getting wrapped up and spun down. It's not, it's not those kind of sacks. It's not those kinds of quarterback hits. I mean, Jermaine Johnson yesterday came up and we were running a play action pass. Um, you know, it was off, it was off of a, off, off of a run scheme. So he was on the backside. He got chipped by the running back. He retraced and he laid Sam out. And I think it was in the fourth quarter. Maybe it was late in the third quarter, yeah, laid Sam out. This was the play after Sam took a hit 
and was down on the ground. The ball came out. He was down on the ground. I think Florida State got hit with a flag on that one. The very next play, Jermaine Johnson, number 11, defensive end, who's a good player, mm-hmm. gets, gets Sam on his retrace. So his primary move, he gets chipped by the back. He then retraces. He's got Lyman, and he's got a back chasing him, and he still manages to lay Sam out as Sam's trying to escape the pocket. And Sam laid there for a minute. I mean, this kid is going to get hurt. We're six games into the season right now, and every time that kid drops back, I'm worried that it's a career ender. I mean, I'm legitimately concerned that Sam Howell is going to get hurt. So, you know, positivity pod, uh, Sam's not hurt yet. That's That's my positive takeaway. He's not hurt yet, and I hope to God he doesn't get hurt for his sake and for everybody's sake. Um, particularly his draft stock. Um, but there's going to come a point here where you're going to start seeing Sam make business decisions. And mm-hmm. the fans aren't going to like that. But I know me and EJ are going to fully support it. Yeah. Yeah, the thing with this team, for my biggest takeaways, it's that, you know, you could you could write off the Virginia Tech game as a fluke if that was just the first game of the season, hostile environment, not used to the fans being back. Okay, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Then the Georgia Tech game happens where it's the same issues popping up and it's a team that just looks lost. And then the same thing happens again yesterday against Florida State where, you know, they have a good showing against Duke and you're like, the it's, it's a fan base that you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop where it's like, was Duke just an inferior team and or has Carolina really improved? And this team is just showing that this is just who they are. They're, they're not that good of a football team. They have a few good players throughout um, Sam Howell, Josh Downs. You have a few players on defense here and there, Miles Murphy. Um, I, I really like Javari Ritzy, what he does in, in his reps, but overall, this is just not a good team. Nobody has really taken um, this drastic leap forward that we kind of expected when you're in year three of, on an offensive system and year three of a defensive system where a team like Florida state who lost to Jacksonville state is just imposing their will on Carolina. And it's just, it's just really disheartening football to watch. And I think the, when I'm, when I'm on the sidelines and watching these games for um, Carolina, like I'm just left feeling bad for these players because it looks like they don't know, what's going on or where, where to kind of turn. And I, I did hear um, Jason Staples on the, the day after podcast where he says he thinks um, certain players for like Carolina defense are essentially playing like hero ball and trying to make plays. And I think, I think there's just a lot of frustration for this team and it's, it's turning to people feeling like they have to go above and beyond to try to make plays or try to be the hero for the team. And then the frustration is even leading over now in, into these unsportsmanlike penalty um, penalties. Well, the frustration, like, the frustration's obvious. I mean, yeah. there's not, a, there's no fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's, there's just, there's no spark in the team, yeah. and that's incredible for me to see. And I, and and I want to go ahead and make this very clear. I don't put that on the players. Six game isn't six games into the season. That is not a player's problem. That is, from a player's standpoint, what that is, is I've put, I've, I am, I've been emotionally invested in this thing for six weeks. We've been up and down and all the things that we were told if we did, we'd have success. We've done and we haven't been successful. I don't know what else to do, like you're saying, Vip. So now I'm just frustrated. I'm completely exasperated. The team looks exasperated. The yeah. players do. Um, yeah. 
you know, and that is a, that is a leadership issue from the adult leaders in the room from that coaching staff. And listen, I don't, and I want to make this very clear. I am not a calling for coaches jobs guy. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it now. I'm not the guy who's ever going to do that. Okay. This staff that Mac has is a good staff, all right? They've coached a lot of games. They've coached a lot of players. They've put cumulatively, they've put a lot of guys in the NFL. Many of them have played in the NFL themselves. Okay. They've gone to national championship games. They've won national championships with Mac Brown. Like they know how to, they know how to coach football players, but for some reason there is a disconnect this season and the benefits of all that wealth of experience amongst that coaching staff is not translating to the players for some reason. And that is not the player's fault. That is not the player's problem to fix. That is the coaching staff's problem to fix. And they know it. And Mac knows it. And, they, and he'll admit it because he's a big boy. And this is a big boy staff. And they know what they have to do to improve it. All I know is that we've got six games left. And my, my concern is, you know, I, I am a, I am, you know, look, man, I'm, I, I, I'm, a, I'm Irish Catholic, all right? I, cynicism is like, I mean, that's just, my, that, that, that's in my blood. When I said I thought we were going to go one and three in October, I was kind of not serious. I mean, I was hoping I wasn't right. Yeah. But I'm almost certain I'm right now. Yeah. And that's not something I wish I was, that's not something I want to be right about. I don't, I, I look at the remainder of this schedule and I have a hard time pointing out two games that they're going to win. They will yeah. do it. Like they, they will win two or three more games this season. Whether they, whether, whether they end up winning five games or six games and go to a bowl is going to be a real test. I'm not, I, I originally thought maybe this was an eight and four football team. I don't think that anymore. And I'm concerned because that would be a massive step back. What I'm seeing now is that we talked about this yesterday. EJ and I were in town with, you know, with some other guys. The, the prevailing sentiment was Michael Carter and Javante Williams clearly masked a lot of deficiencies, yep. which is kind of what we talked about last year a little bit. We were at, we were at the tailgate. We talked about it a little bit. Like they yeah. masked a lot of deficiencies. We, we, we talked about it on the pods last season. Um, but you would hope that now they're gone with an extra year of experience, some of those deficiencies would have uh, – they would have shrunk. They would have diminished a little bit. We would have, we would have filled those gaps in the offseason. Players are a year older, a year better, especially with all the guys we had coming back, particularly on the offensive line. And though there may have been a drop-off, it shouldn't have been a, as drastic a drop-off as we're seeing right now. So what that tells me is you had two star players in that backfield. And without them, this offense cannot move. It cannot go. And Sam Howell right now is the whole offense, and that kid can't possibly do – every single thing for this offense for the next six weeks. It's just, it's, it's not possible from a, just from a conceptual standpoint, it's also not physically possible for him because again, he's going to get hurt and you, you, you got to start looking out for a kid who's killed himself with this program. Like you, you can't put all that on him in his third year. It's just, it's not, it's not acceptable and the staff's gonna have to fix it. And again, they know they have to fix it and they're going to do what they think they need to do to fix it. Now, whether that actually translates into correcting the problem and correcting these deficiencies. I don't know. I do know that the effort will be there. The attempt to fix it will be there. And it remains to be seen whether it actually does get handled. Yeah. And when you talk about Michael Carter and Javante Williams and hiding deficiencies, I think you could also add 
Deami Brown into that conversation because <laughs> 4,100 yards of offense. Big time. Man. <laughs> yeah, big yeah, time. Big time. <laughs> and then I also think when uh, you were talking about when you're looking at the remaining schedule and finding possible wins, I think that's the mistake where the Carolina fan has kind of found themselves this year where it's like, you know, you lose to Virginia Tech and you're like, well, if Carolina can run the table, you know, they could still make it to the ACC championship. If they lose to Georgia Tech, like, well, if Carolina runs the table, they might be able to do something. And I, it's they're not saying really that the ACC championship is possible. But, you know, I think there are still some fans who are optimistic that this team could win out. But when you're when you're looking at what you saw on the field on Saturday, it's like, where is that belief coming from that you think this team can win out? Because the team I saw on Saturday, they're they're going to struggle and every game is going to be a fight. There isn't any more games like that Miami game last year where that team just flat out was dominant and beat a team's will out of it. I just don't see that happening for this team. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mike, I want to get into the offensive line because I think after rewatching the game, I rewatched the game kind of like you mentioned I, I was a bit harsh in the offensive line's performance because I think they did do a, a lot better job. I made a note too that they did a better job passing off the twists and they gave some time in the pass protection. The run blocking, I thought, especially in the yeah. early downs, it, it yeah. leaves a little room to be desired, even though Carolina is rushing for uh, 6.4 yards per carry. But a lot of that is um, Sam Howell just taking off on a broken play or um, yeah, it's 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 explosive plays in the ground game. Yes, yeah, it's, it's chunk yeah. chunk plays. Yeah. So um, when you're when you're looking at the overall offensive lines play, how would you evaluate the performance where they were better in some areas, but there's still some areas where they do struggle? Uh, again, they've taken you know they take one step back or they take one step forward and then another step back and one step forward and another step back. It's not one forward and two back. I think they just kind of you know they they stay where they are. They're neutral, right? They have a net, they have a net zero in terms of improvement every week. So they'll get better in one area and then they'll take a step back in another area. For example, they got, they did much better, a much better job in pass protection and passing off games. We've talked about that. Double teams in this game were horrendous. Like their second level assignments were terrible. Um, there were a few plays that we broke on the ground that were designed runs. We handed the ball off and they broke and we got some chunk yardage. But like you pointed out, most of the big gainers on the ground were Sam keeping it. And they were either designed runs or really what they were, were just everybody was covered downfield and he just tucked it and ran. Yeah. And also props to Sam Howell sliding. <laughs> looked like it looked like sure. he's been doing it his whole life, didn't it? <laughs> he finally figured it out. And then, late in the, and then late in the game, late in the game, he abandoned it. He said, I'm done. <laughs> like I'm done with the slide stuff. I need yards. Um, so most of the, you know, most of the rushing success was just a result of um, it, it was out of necessity. It was Sam just tucking and running uh, in the past. It wasn't necessarily designed runs that were really breaking that we had a few that did. And part of the reason why we were so bad, in the run game on first and second down and we got behind the sticks behind schedule in the run game was because our second level assignments just weren't there. I mean, well, let me, let me rephrase our assignments in in terms of the human beings were there. They were usually hitting us in the mouth in the backfield that that's where they were. We were not on our assignments. We were missing them. And part of that was getting our head buried. Part of it was uh, we weren't shoulder to shoulder in a lot of our double teams. We weren't taking the double teams vertical when they had to get vertical to a linebacker. We were trying to take them at angles and guys were just flowing over the top 
and basically backdooring the play um, and blowing things up in the backfield. I saw that happen a few times. So there, are, again, are things we got better at, twists, things we got worse at, second-level assignments. We had a net zero in terms of improvement for the game. Um, it still should have been enough to win the football game. Despite all the issues, it still should have been enough. But in an era of college football where everyone's every team can drop 40 or 50 points because the offenses were running, you know, 25 points ain't going to get it done. So just the way that it is. EJ, six games in, and the Carolina defense has now made four average to below average quarterbacks look like all Americans. And I remember after the Georgia State game, we were here saying, like, if that Georgia State quarterback could throw, like the Carolina defense would have been in trouble again. Mm -hmm. Jordan Travis, he rushes for 121 yards on 14 carries. Why, in your opinion, does Carolina struggle so much with the read option and with the quarterback run? And where does the responsibility lie there? I think this week is a little bit different. Like, I mean, yesterday, of course, as Mike mentioned, we were together and we're watching the game and we're like, well, there's another quarterback that's probably going to have a career day <laughs> rushing against the Tar Heel defense. But as I'm watching it today, I think that we, we, we failed to make an adjustment, honestly. I mean, we at one point, I mean, I noticed that, okay, when they're about to run this option, they have a, they have the wide receivers split out way wide. They're spreading out our defense. So, of course, our defensive end or the outside linebacker, um, really in this offense, is crashing down, and he has a dive play. It, it, it takes me back to just principles, and, and that's, that's really where I'm at now. It's like, what's really fundamentally wrong? Why can't we stop this? Because with how consistently this been, as I mentioned uh, earlier, how this has come off across programs, across, uh, across coaching staffs, this is this is kind of a scheme issue. This is not a player issue. So when we played Georgia Tech, we spent two weeks practicing without a football, focusing on our keys. We made we we didn't practice anything against the pass. We're like we're trying to take our chances there, with us having better athletes. But we spent usually usually we played them around about week. So we spent two weeks literally drilling down what our responsibilities were. You get your hands on alignment. You tackle this dive, no matter what. You tackle this dive. And, and honestly, like, at the point we were at to where the coaches, what they demanded of us, if if the, if the if we had the responsibility of the dive, but we made a tackle on the quarterback if he pulled it, that was a negative play for us because we shouldn't be anywhere around that play. We're tackling the dive to the ground. So I'm seeing a lot of our of, of the, the stand-up defensive end slash outside linebackers in our defense. They're crashing down and they're taking a dive. But when the quarterback pulls it, who's really responsible for that? On one play, I saw Eugene Asante. He's, he's an inside linebacker. He's reading the guard. The guard made an inside step. He stepped into that gap. And, I mean, yeah, he got stuck on a block a little bit. But then Jordan Travis is out of the gate. And I've seen this on so many different things. So it's like they're spreading people out. And it's like we're expecting whoever that slot corner, the nickelback, or the safety to come down and to take the quarterback on that play that's not gonna work your outside linebacker needs to take that make that play if we know that we're playing against a quarterback that's going to run the ball if they're running a read option then maybe we don't we need to run something a little bit differently when when i was there um and we played georgia tech we were a traditional four three gap defense but when we played against them our nose tackles had no gaps their job was to make sure that the that the guards didn't get up to the linebackers and as defensive ends we didn't have a gap we had the dive play we got our hands on the tackle and we had the dive play. And I just don't see schematically where we could have stopped that defense. I mean, a lot of time, yeah, he, he took off and we just took bad angles or we missed tackles or 
we just weren't physical enough. I mean, we just really honestly looked like amateurs playing against pros sometimes with some of the angles we were taking. But I really think it's something schematically that we need to address. If we're going to run this defense where we're going to be high pressure, we're going to be man outside, we still need to take into consideration that we have to stop a running quarterback. I mean, we're making average guys look really good running the ball. Jordan Travis, I mean, yeah, he had 100 yards the previous week. He's a good running quarterback. But if we know he's going to run the quarterback, why aren't we scheming to stop that? If 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 we know that they're running the ball, if their running back is averaging 100 yards a game, why aren't we scheming to stop that? Last week, we, we looked all world. I mean, the, the game plan looked great. We played with physicality. We weren't missing tackles, but we're also playing for bragging rights. So, I mean, what's really important to this team? Does this team just want to be the best team in the triangle area, or do they really want to kind of take it to the next level and be a perennial ACC powerhouse, which is what we were promised when this when the staff came into town? And just like Mike said, I'm not one that's calling for a coaching staff's head because at the end of the day, that coaching staff can only impart so much, and at the end, it becomes a point where the players have to take it amongst themselves and do what the coaches are telling them. That's I think that's where the change came for us in the transition from going from Coach Bunning to going to Coach Davies. That first year, yeah, it was it was a little bit different because we had some better talent coming into town. But you, you saw 2008, 2009, 2010, those teams became so much better because they started to buy in. Guys like Mike, who were who, who were um what redshirt freshmen basically when mm-hmm. when Coach Davis got there, these yeah. guys were now redshirt seniors. So they're they're carrying over everything that, that's going on in the program, the attitude, the buying in, and it just doesn't seem like this is a. I think the fans are a lot more bought into what Mac Brown is bringing than the players, and I, and, and that's not a fact or something I know, but from the product I'm seeing on the field, that's the only assumption that, that I think I can make from that. Yeah, schematically, it's if it's something like if you give a quarterback who's as who's as athletic as Jordan Travis that step, he has the ability to make somebody look silly if you're getting over there late. And Carolina had 11 missed tackles, but it's it's more it's more so that they they weren't even there initially to try to make the tackle, and Jordan Travis is just running in a lot of open field. But also schematically, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you saw it, so that's why I'm also bringing it up. There was a third and 12 and Carolina, they dropped 300 pounder Clyde Pinder, uh, the pass rush specialist back into coverage. What? Can you take me schematically? Maybe what's the thought process there, but behind dropping somebody like Clyde Pinder, who's coming into the game to rush the quarterback. What's, what's the thought process dropping him into coverage for his, his lone snap of the game. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's to get it on film and to show the NFL that this guy actually can backpedal a little bit, but it doesn't accomplish anything. We had a couple of plays where we would drop Cam Thomas back. Cam dropped back once in practice and he said, this feels wrong. I mean, he said, this doesn't feel like anything I should be doing. Moving backwards is very unnatural for a defensive lineman. And the thing is, I was watching the game and I on the TV copy, I realized that they showed highlights from my senior year in 2009 where uh, Florida State came back to beat us and the one play they showed was a play where I was actually playing stand-up outside linebacker and an exotic schemey let's be cute play play this defense where I was supposed to be out in the flat and Charles Brown was supposed to be uh play basically playing a deep safety well he's not used to this exotic defense so he was coming up when we were playing the same area next thing you know it's over the top we lose that game 30 to 27 so I think a lot of these a lot of times I think defensive coordinators are out scheme themselves I mean 
why, why would you take a guy like Clyde Pender or Raymond Vahask or any of, of the big Hoyas of defensive linemen we have and drop them into coverage? What, what does that help? Even if they get the interception, there, there's no return happening. It's like it's like when I was little, like when guys over 100 pounds couldn't play ball, couldn't catch the ball or run the ball in Little League. It's like if you got a, a fumble recovery or interception, you just have to take a knee and give yourself up. That's basically what you get if Clyde Pender – even deflects a pass or get an interception. So no, let's 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 rush the guys who are supposed to rush and let the guys who study coverage in the game plan in that aspect cover, which are linebackers in the secondary. So not a fan of that guy dropping back. That was the moment of the game where it felt like I was I was getting punked third and twelve. I'm like maybe the Carolina defense gets off the field, get back in this game with a score, and then I I saw Clyde Pinder dropping back into coverage, and I was like. Something, something's got to be off here. Maybe that's not Clyde Pinder uh, double checking the roster and then they complete the pass anyways on the sideline. The one that they reviewed for the first down drive continues Florida state scores. Um, Mike, the biggest issue for, for the Carolina offense on Saturday, I thought it's, it's the wide receivers not named Josh downs outside of downs, the people that are listed on the roster as receivers. So, you know, not Kamari Morales or Garrett Walton or even Bryson Nesbitt. They they combined for two catches for 14 yards. You get a lack of production from Emory Simmons and Anton Green. You turn to somebody like Choffrey Brown. He has another drop, a, a, cr- a critical drop, where instead of the drive continuing, you're forced to punt. Uh, you have somebody like Justin Olsen. I think Justin Olsen played 13 snaps, uh, was one of the early targets for a deep ball incomplete when you're when you're looking at this when you're looking at Saturday's game how worrying is it that it's six games in and outside of Josh Downs the production from the receivers has been next to not uh, non-existent well it worries me because what's going to end up happening is someone's going to figure out how to take Josh Downs out of the game plan and I'm not sure how Florida State was unable to do that at this point six games in they got five games of film to watch where Josh Downs was clearly the only weapon that we had, you know, in the receiving room, in the receiver room. Um, But they somehow were not able to bottle that kid up and keep him from getting over 100 yards receiving again and another touchdown again. Um, And maybe that's just a testament to Josh Downs and how good he really is. You know, I'm, I'm sure there is a focus on him in the defensive game plan for every team that we play. Um, At least there should be. Uh, and he's still managing to get his stats uh, and he's still getting open and he's still a, a, a legitimate option for Sam. But at some point he's going to get taken away. And right now we look bad with him getting open and with him padding the stat book and with him scoring touchdowns and catching a ton of balls and racking up a ton of receiving yards. Uh, how bad are we going to look when somebody, when, when a team completely neutralizes him? Like what's that going to look like? Are we going to be, we're not going to be able to lean on the run game like we could last year. Um, We don't have another option on the outside. Someone that can try and pick up the slack. You know, it's not like where we have De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsom. And if one guy's having an off day or he's been taken away that we can just go to the other guy and he's as reliable as, as as he was, you know, as, as, as the other guy would be. And you can do this, you know, this, this give and take um, this give and take game with our receivers. We don't, we just don't have that. And you're seeing that I'll go back to how this is affecting Sam getting hit in the pocket and how he's holding the ball. Part of the reason why he's holding the ball is that nobody's getting open. 
So when Josh isn't available, that's always his number one read. And when Josh isn't available, he's got nowhere to throw that football. So he's just hanging on to it because he's a gamer and he's trying to, he's playing hero ball. Like you talked about earlier, he's trying to make plays. Okay. Because he feels like he has to, because right now he is the whole offense, him and Josh Downs are the entire offense. Um, so when he doesn't have an option somewhere, he's holding the ball, looking, 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 and then he's getting smoked back in the pocket or he's taken off and now he's out in the open field and he's getting sandwiched between two guys, you know, as he's getting tackled right at the, right at the marker, that kind of thing. So it has a trickle down effect, the inability to find another viable option on the outside at receiver is having a trickle down effect in a very negative way on the rest of the offense, all the way down to the quarterback standing in the pocket. Um, we've got to find someone. I mean, I'll t- I've said this before, but I mean, what we're missing is Bo Corrales. And I, again, I don't think, I, and I don't know this to be true at all, but I mean, from what I'm seeing, I'd be surprised if Bo plays this year. Um, and, and that's, I feel for that kid, but also he's a huge part of our offense when he's out there on the field, even when he's 50%, he's still, a, he's a 50% Bo Corrales is better than no Bo Corrales. Yeah. And we haven't had him for two years now. And we've needed him for two years. Um, we definitely need him this year. Um, so it's, I feel for Sam not having that option. I feel for Josh Downs having to carry that load. But at some point, guys like Anton Green, Choffrey, okay, Emory Simmons, they're getting their opportunity. Olsen, like they're getting their opportunities. You're going to have to start making good on it. Kamari Morales is, so they're going to have to figure it out because there's going to be somebody coming up on this team. Either they're in high school now and they're going to sign with us next year or they're on the roster and we just don't know about it yet. But they're going to come in and they're going to take one of those jobs and they're going to be – because there's somebody there, – there is a number two option on this roster. We just don't know who it is yet. And if it's not the guys rolling out on the field, it's somebody deeper on the roster or somebody who's not on the roster yet. But, but that guy's coming. So these guys that are getting their reps now, they, they better figure it out quick or someone's going to be real upset hitting that transfer portal. Yeah, and when you when you talk about how it's eventually it should come of teams being able to figure out how to at least contain Josh Downs and make somebody else try to beat you, I think the best example of that is uh, the 2016 UNC team where Mac Collins goes down in the Miami game, and then offensive, I mean, defensive coordinators all of a sudden they're like, all we have to do is just bracket coverage, Ryan Switzer, and the offense is going to be a lot more, a lot less efficient. And then I think a lot of Carolina fans that year were like, what's going on? Why did this team kind of all of a sudden fall off? And that's why the offense kind of fell off because off, uh, defenses started to realize there's not too many guys on this team that can beat you like you are seeing right now for this Carolina team where not too many guys are going to beat you outside of a Josh Downs. And there, there's a lot of similarities between the two teams when you have a quarterback like Mitch Trubisky, like Sam Howell. There's a ton of talent. And then the other point you kind of made with with uh, Bo Corrales that I wanted to hit on was that Bo is – I th- people kind of underestimated how big a loss Bo was because Bo has proved he's a good player in practices – and he's proved that he's a good player in games and Sam Howell trusts him to where even if even if Anton Green or Emory Simmons are open at this point, like you mentioned, Josh Downs is his first read. If Josh Downs isn't open, the clock in Sam Howell's head is going off like mm-hmm. I have to take off. I'm not even going to look elsewhere down the field because when 
in the times he has tried to go to Anton Green or he has tried to go to Emory Simmons, he targeted Emory Simmons four times that game uh, for one catch, seven yards. Anton Green had one catch, seven yards. So even when he is targeting them, they're not making plays. So when when you do film review later and all of a sudden you're like, oh, Anton was open or Emory was open. In, in Sam's mind, he's like, when whenever I have looked towards them, they're not open. I'm not going to them. I can't go to them because that trust isn't there between the receivers and and the quarterback because that trust it's it's built in practices. And then once that first game hits, if if you're not producing, the quarterback's thinking I have to go to somebody else because I have to do my job and I have to. The, a lot of this loss is going to go on me if we don't win. And the, well, and and none of, none of that is like. I, I should clarify here. I'm not criticizing any of those guys yeah. individually. What it is is identification of an opportunity for them. Yeah. Like there is a void that needs to be filled here and they have the opportunity to be that guy or those guys plural. Like they could all, they all have a role and there, there is a, there, there's a way for all of them to be wildly successful in this offense and Josh Downs can still get 125 yards receiving and a touchdown every game. And they can all still be, the rest of those guys can all be wildly successful. And this offense could be wildly successful for the next six weeks. There is an opportunity there. And I just hope that one or all of them figure out a way or some number in between figure out a way to take advantage of that opportunity, because I will tell you this college football is fun. It's a whole lot more fun when you're on the field and it's even more fun when you're playing well on the field. Yeah. These guys have an opportunity to really take advantage of their college career and leave with something and leave, leave this school with a feeling of accomplishment. And it starts right now. They have the opportunity. They're being given the chance. And I hope that at some point it clicks. It will for one of them. I don't know who it's going to be. It will, you will see it click at some point before the end of the season for one of those guys. I hope it clicks for all of them. And I hope they're able to all capitalize on that opportunity. Yeah. And I also wonder, you know, how much different this season would be or would be playing out if Carolina had hit on some of the deep shots it took against Virginia Tech. If Emory Simmons comes down with a big catcher, Anton Green comes in with a big catch because I think going into week one, the confidence there, the confidence was there from Sam Howell. Um, when you have a, a good spring, a good summer, throwing a guys like Emory Simmons and Anton Green, and it's kind of like what I was saying before. Once, once the production isn't matching in the games, no matter what you're doing in practice, that quarterback doesn't have the trust to go to you, and it's kind of throwing off all the t- all that kind of timing. But Mike, you mentioned that if it's not going to be a starter now, it could be one of the the guys on the roster or a recruit coming in. Is it concerning at all that the younger receivers like J.J. Jones, Kobe Pesor, Gavin uh, Blackwell, younger receivers, true freshmen who came in highly recruited, aren't getting an opportunity right now when you have had this little production from the older players? I think, and I say I think because I am speculating, I'm not in that building, but if I'm Mac Brown or if I'm Phil Longo, if I'm coaching this offense, at this point, I don't want to. I don't want to mess with Sam Howell any more than he's already being messed with. So I'm not. Try, I want to throw any more variables at him. I don't want things. I don't want him having to adjust to anything else, anything new. 
I want him to be able to, to have the confidence to know that I'm, I'm rolling out on the field. These are the guys who are going to be on the field. I know what I have to do in order to, you know, outside of Josh Downs, I know what I have to do in order to make sure these guys are productive or at least put them in a position to be productive. Okay. I don't want as a coach to put any unknown quantities on the field with Sam right now, because he's doing so much. There's clearly a timing trust issue going on between the quarterback and his receivers. A lot of it's offensive line based. Okay. But it's also receivers not getting open things like that. So I don't want to, create any more confusion or throw any more variables out there um, than I need to. I want to try and keep things from this point forward as consistent as humanly possible and roll with the guys that I have. Um, that is a longer way of saying I'm putting this offense, I'm putting this passing game into survival mode yeah. is, what I'm, is what I'm doing. Um, I'm maintaining the status quo in hopes that what we have will be success, will be productive enough to get us over the hump, get us into a bowl game, win us a few more games, you know, knock off NC State. Hopefully, um, at this point, that should be the biggest goal of the whole of the year. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm saying like looking down that schedule at that state game after Thanksgiving, like that should be, you know, we we want to be in a position to be able to to win that game, win a couple more along the way, get into a bowl game, save face this season somewhat, a little bit, kind of. And in order to do that, I got to maintain the status quo on offense, particularly in the passing game. And in order to do that, I can't go throwing in new faces. Now, if things start looking real bad, and it looks like we're not, you know, this season might be a lost cause, which we'll know after about two or three more games. At that point, you might start seeing some of those younger guys coming in. You might start seeing them getting game reps. Um, we are far enough out that if a couple of those guys play, and like meaning there's enough season left, that if a couple of the go, a couple of those guys play, and they're playing well, I got to start them for the next five games. Now I've blown their red shirt, yeah. and they didn't get a full season out of them. So they're essentially getting three and a half seasons that they stay through their senior year, as opposed to they get four games before I blow their red shirt. I would be willing to bet if you do see new faces, you'll start seeing them in the back third of the season. So beginning week nine, you're going to see them weeks nine, 10, 11, 12, so that they don't go blowing red shirts for guys that they'd like to have around for an extra year. I yeah, think that's probably the strategy you'll see. Yeah, that red shirting is a, is a good point. And I think kind of like you mentioned, for a receiver to go from – not getting any first team reps, it's it's a, an extremely tough challenge to all of a sudden put him in and put him in with a new quarterback. Like if somebody like JJ Jones, if you had a Criswell or a Drake May, somebody who he was more comfortable going with, the guys that you're practicing with all the time and you can understand, you know, how fast they are, where they like the ball being thrown, that's something that's kind of like a, a completely different conversation. I think plugging in new guys at receiver is, is one of the most challenging um, places you could plug somebody in and kind of expect results to be there right away. But EJ uh, along the same lines, when the defense looks this bad, the fan, the fans turning to the person next to him and saying, you know, it can't be that bad to get some young guys reps. And 
defensively, it's a, it's a bit different because a lot of those guys are playing special teams. So the, their redshirt year is gone anyways. Uh, Ra Ra Dilworth, he plays one snap. We mentioned Clyde Pinder playing one snap. Uh, Dante Balfour is another guy that people have been talking about. He's gotten zero snaps in the secondary. Um, could help out at the safety position where you've had some of those coverage lapses. At some point, if you're a defensive coordinator, do you have to at least see what these guys can do in game action and not do the, do the, you know, it could get worse when the, the product out there is already pretty bad. I think defensively it's a little bit different. I think that with, with some of the issues that we're having, I don't think putting someone else in there is going to make it any better because I mean, if we're taking bad angles, if we're missing tackles, if we're getting schemed into quarterbacks gashing us for runs, putting younger guys in there who are probably going to be, I don't care if you're a four-star or if you're a one-star, you're going to be a little shell-shocked when you start getting your little your first time. So I don't think that you you, you put those young guys in there and start burning their red shirts, especially guys that you, you, you plan on seeing the future in your program. I mean, if you have enough for a two or three deep right now, you pull those guys to the side, and when you're doing your game plan and coaching, then you bring those guys in because that's what's really going to be important to them to really tackle the mental aspect of it and that's what's going to keep them engaged throughout the season as well I mean if you have these guys saying look I want you to learn from what you're seeing right now this is the exact thing that we don't want to see on the field or this is not an angle that you should take and then they in turn become coaches so so even if they're if they're not um, no, if they're not getting a lot of playing time, even if they're not dressed out on the sideline, when the defensive lineman, when the when, when the linebackers, when the secondary comes off the field, these guys who aren't playing, who've been engaged with the game plan, who've been engaged with watching film and, and, and preparing just like they were starters, they're going to be coming off and giving people tips. So that's kind of one of the things I, I mean when I say that I don't think there's a lot of development on the defense in the defensive unit because I think that was the biggest step that we made definitely as a defensive unit and definitely as a team uh, when we have the coaches switch from coach Bunning to coach Davis is that we, from, from, from the level of guys who are, who know that they're red shirting, they're invested as invested in the game plan as you can be when you're giving scout looks, but when they're, they're engaged in the game, they're, they're seeing what we're doing. They're seeing the mistakes we're making and they're seeing the things that the offense are doing that maybe we haven't prepared for. And they're giving tips on the sideline. I mean, for me, those are guys like Quentin Copels, Michael McAdoo and um, Tadrick Powell and some of those guys, they're engaged in the game. I mean, there have been games where, where, I know, especially guys like Ty Dreek, who one who has one of the, who's one of the best guys, one of my, my favorite teammates of all time. He'll he'll have just as much fun as we did. He may play ten snaps that game, but if he's engaged and he's giving us tips that we're then going out there and using, he's just as happy as he was if if, if he had went in there and gotten a sack. So I think that's the next step for this program, and I don't want to see us burning these guys' red shirt because I do think, um, like Coach Brown said, a lot of the talent on our team. Um, obviously it's not a lot in the field, but <laughs> it's, it's our freshmen and our sophomores and guys that we still need to develop. So I, I no, I wouldn't burn those red shirts because I mean, you can have a guy who, who, who may have sat on the bench his whole year and come out as a senior, his only year as a starter, it could be a first round draft pick or an all American. I've seen that happen. I've had teammates that that's happened to. So no, I, I wouldn't burn those red shirts early, but because I think schematically some of the things that we're doing are very good, but if you're not, if, if you're going to take a terrible angle, if you're not going to going to follow through and tackle the way that the coaches are teaching you to tackle, and these are your starters, the guy that you trust to be your starters, I inexperience just isn't going to, yeah, you're not going to yeah. be able to put inexperience out there and it look better. 
Exactly, exactly. And then you're just burning red shirts and burning time where these guys could be getting better. So, no, I, I don't think that we should start throwing those younger guys out there just to throw them out there. All right, everybody's favorite part of the podcast, it's Say Something Nice. It's a bit challenging this week. It's a bit challenging this week. EJ, we'll start with you. What is your Say Something Nice? Say something nice is that at least this week we know that we're going against a quarterback who can run the ball, who's more than capable of getting 150 yards. So I hope the co- I hope, hope the coaching staff is coaching up. So my say something nice, and, and I've searched and thought about this since yesterday when I left top of the hill. The only <laughs> thing I can say nice is that we know we're playing a quarterback who has historically been one of the better rushers in the country. So hopefully we can stop them. Um my only positive is going to be moving forward because, I mean, I hate to say this, and I usually try to be the optimistic guy, but there's nothing that I can take positive from that game last night. I mean, we we had personal we had personal foul penalties. We actually, I mean, at the end of the game, they're down on the ball. We, we, we cause a whole commotion. Like, that's that's not Carolina football. That's not, the, that, that's, that's not the respectable way to win. So I'm acting like last night didn't happen, and hopefully that we'll prepare accordingly uh, for the task at hand next Saturday. Yeah, and I think uh, Derek King is – I think he's questionable for Saturday's game. Uh, the backup played against Virginia, uh, Tyler Van Dyke. He was a freshman. He completed uh, 15 of 29 passes for uh, 203 yards in the loss. So you could probably just triple those numbers knowing knowing what's, what's – I was going to say quadruple, but positivity <laughs> pod. <laughs> Mike – I, I strayed away for a little there. Uh, what's, what's your say something nice? Uh, Miami is, like Virginia Tech, has become a rivalry game. You know, it's a back-and-forth series. Um, it's a home game. We've seen some electricity under Mac Brown against Miami and Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. And we've had some really good games against Miami, some pretty electric, fun games over the years you know, against Miami and Chapel Hill. And, you know, maybe we'll come out and we'll all be pleasantly surprised. I will say this, and I mean this. This isn't – I'm not fabricating this positivity point. We're going to find out real fast how much pride this team has after they watch this film today Mm -hmm. and how they come out to practice this week and how they show up on Saturday. If this team that shows up on Saturday against Miami blows the doors off Miami or at least plays, even in a loss, plays insanely hard, plays mistake-free football, and does everything and controls all the things that they can control and puts together a complete game, then we know this team has the fire and the spark that I've said they, I didn't see yesterday. That we know this team can learn from its mistakes and that they care and they are more than capable of doing the things that we expected them to do all season long. So the positive point here is just like there's an opportunity in that receiving group, there's an opportunity for this team to come out this weekend and wash this Florida state taste out of their mouth against a good Miami team and get a good win on a season where there hasn't been a whole lot of good. They can start to turn that around a little bit. And, and maybe make something out of what out of the second half of the season. Yeah. My, uh, my say something nice is that I got this from Mac Brown where in, in losses, you can't just jump and say, you know, everybody was bad because it kind of does diminish the players that 
did put together a, a great performance. Somebody could have their best game of their career. And, you know, you talk about everybody playing bad and all of a sudden they're kind of starting to doubt, like, did I have a bad game too? Um, and certainly players did play good for Carolina on Saturday, despite the result. And one of the players, he puts on a show every Saturday, Josh Downs through six games. He has 49 catches, 741 yards, seven touchdowns. He's averaging 123 and a half yards per game. And it's, it's, it's really unbelievable what he's doing at the receiver position. Um, knowing that defenses are coming into every game, trying to say, you know, where, where is 11? Let's try to stop him. Let's try to limit him. And so far, no matter what you throw at him, he's, he's been making plays all over the field. Sam clearly trusts him. And it's, it's starting to get to the point where, almost halfway through the season or halfway through the season, you're, you're the, the chances of the Blitnikoff award coming back to Chapel Hill is a real possibility. I know there's a receiver at USC, um, Drake London, who's also pretty good. So I would be surprised if it isn't one of those two with the numbers they're putting up. And anytime you could win a Blitnikoff award, Carolina's never done it. It's a huge award for college football for the receivers. And if, if somebody like Josh Downs wins that, that becomes a, a huge recruiting point saying like the best receiver in college football this year played for Carolina. So that's something I think that could help out Lonnie Galloway even further when you're recruiting these wide receivers. And I know they're, they're in it for um, a couple of big wide receivers and seeing the production that Josh Downs has. And also I think Kamari Morales he deserves yeah. he deserves a shout out. He's becoming a, a real good red zone threat. Four touchdowns in the last four games, and it's uh it's an offense that has been pretty unpredictable this year, and more more bad than good, especially in terms of expectations coming in. But I think Morales and and Downs have kind of been the guys, along with Sam Howell, of course, for this offense. But Carolina back in action on Saturday. It's another home game in Keenan stadium with the U coming to town. I'm looking forward to seeing Josh down scoring a touchdown. I'm hoping somebody throws the U down. I, yeah. I need that on Saturday. Just, just for my, my own morale. Carolina <laughs> is a seven point favorite. Makes me a little, makes me a little nervous. Seven point yeah. favorite, but it's a three 30 kickoff again. Guys. always a pleasure. Yeah, man. Yep. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.